The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to shake up that status quo and move ahead in exciting new directions and you want to, of course, run with the game changers, you're in the right place. Welcome. The buzz today, it's a plan. How often have you heard that? Well, we're going to talk about it in the context, of course, of game-changing HR leaders. So let's do a little look back in time. Old school corporate succession planning. Come on, you're all old enough to remember and have heard about it. What did it look at? It focused mainly on filling positions in your company as incumbents, the people you already had there, moved up and eventually, whoops, out of the organization. Vacancy, open position, how do you fill it? Well, that was the primary purpose of succession planning and hence the reference to it's a plan. Today, It's changed. It's different. We're going to talk about business, your business, the future of your business. So that means your succession planning has to look forward, not just how many empty chairs do we have, let's fill them fast, but you have to identify and develop talent for the future of your business. Keep your eye on that ball, on that horizon. You may have a planning tool. That's great, but it requires a lot more. Successful planning planning now needs intelligence about your business, intelligence about your current workforce, intelligence about future trends. That's right, looking ahead. And you have to have a continuous learning and development culture and mindset inside your company. I think there's a magic sauce to this recipe, and the magic sauce is the people, your HR professionals. They bring insight, expertise, and, ooh, such a risky word, nurturing. That's right. That's the magic sauce. It probably sounds complicated at this point, but take heart. We will simplify it for you. And remember the key word hard and what I just said. I have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this all out. By the end of the next hour, you will know what to do. So first up, delighted to welcome Sharon Newton, N-E-W-T-O-N, if you want to look her up. She's a managing partner at a company called Hypercision. Let me spell that so you can all go and Google it. Small letters, lowercase H-Y-P-E-R, followed immediately by a capital C and then I-S-I-O-N, Hypercision. Sharon has sent me a quote from somebody named Lloyd Alexander. I didn't know who he was, so I looked him up. He lived from 1924 to 2007, and he was an influential American author of over 40 books, primarily 
fantasy novels for children and young adults. And if you think, well, that name sounds familiar, his most famous work was The Chronicles of Prydain, P-R-Y-D-A-I-N, a series of five fantasy novels of which The High King won the 1969 Newbery Medal for Excellence in Children's Literature. He was also one of the creators of the children's literary magazine Cricket. And here's the quote. Listen up. This is for grown-ups now, no more kids' books. We learn more by looking for the answer to a question and not finding it than we do from learning the answer itself. So profound. Sharon Newton, welcome. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Bonnie. And thank you for having me on the show today. We're delighted. Sherry Meyer. Yeah, Sherry's here with us on the panel, too. No, that's fine. We always thank her in a million ways, and I'm glad you're appreciative of that, too. Sharon, interesting. Are you a follower, a fan of Lloyd Alexander? How did you come to pick this quote on a topic that has nothing to do with children's fantasy books, but basically we're talking about hiring for the future of your company? So talk to me. Yeah. Now, this this quote actually is from one of the books in the Chronicles of Pride, and I kind of wrote, wrote it down, actually, when I was a little girl. Um, it was an interesting quote to me. This was one of my favorite series. I had many, which I can talk about ad nauseum, but will not do so. Um, but I picked it because I'm, I'm an advocate for learning. That tends to be one of the areas that I very much like to focus on, learning and development within organizations. And while there are, I think, a lot of good qu- quotes out there about experiential learning and development, quotes from Aristotle, Piaget, like really great thinkers, this mm-hmm. one stuck with me for a long, long time. Um, you mentioned Lloyd Alexander wrote the Pride Chronicles, which um, are about finding the successor to the High King. So I thought, well, that's kind of appropriate as well. And you go through a series of five books really focusing on how the key characters learn and develop to become the people that they are supposed to be, at least within the secession plan of the books. Um, anyway, and I just recently read those books to my kids who are 9 and 11, and they both enjoyed them as well. How nice. And mommy enjoyed them too. Now, when we talk, I I love your reference to the high king, because if you think about succession planning, who do you want to replace the most would be the high king. Hopefully people are not calling their CEO or president of the company (laughs) the high king. Well, my goodness, there's a fantasy novel for you right there. Uh, But anyway, that was the old, what are we going to do to replace uh, Bob the king or Mary the queen or whoever was running the company? Uh, Do do you agree Mm -hmm. that there's so much that goes into this forward-looking succession planning today, Sharon? Definitely, definitely. And as I said, I think one of the focuses is really not only finding potentials for those positions, those key positions that you want to fill, but also focusing on how you're going to develop them and retain them as you develop them. So get them aligned with your company culture, your company strategy and goals, and um, keep them engaged with what's going on within your organization so they stay and help you to fill at least that immediate potential as well as your vision. Good points, and it sounds like HR now has their bigger work cut out for them, and we will certainly be talking Mm -hmm. about that. Again, welcome, Sharon Newton. Pleasure to have you on board. And let's bring on another newcomer to Game Changers Radio. He's Dan Falvey, F-A-L-V-E-Y. He's a global executive advisor for HR strategy and transformation for SAP. And Dan has sent us a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Oh, come on. You know, one of the founding fathers of the United States. He was actually considered a renowned polymath. 
Polymath, P-O-L-Y-M-A-T-H, according to Wikipedia. Franklin was an author, printer, political theorist, politician, Freemason, postmaster, scientist, inventor, civic activist, statesman, and he did all that very diplomatically because he was also called a diplomat. So Benjamin Franklin would be smiling from the other side saying, that's nice of you to include me in a radio show on the Internet. And here's the quote. If you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. Dan Falvey, how are you today? Hi, good afternoon. How are you? I'm great. Nice to have you join us. And I'm, I'm, you're my new best friend, so I get to call you Dan. We already talked about that before. <laughs> Tell me, are you a big fan, follower of, of Benjamin Franklin? Must have been one of the, what we now call the, a renaissance man. He did everything. So how come this quote is so applicable right now to our topic today, Dan? Well, you know, it's kind of funny, Bonnie. If you think about Benjamin Franklin and his place in our history, as you just reeled off a whole number of things, he was really an impact player. And when I was researching this quote, I've used it for years and years, but I'd always heard it more in terms of like a sports reference. A lot of coaches would use it. So I wanted to make sure that I properly attributed the quote. And I was quite frankly, I was surprised to see that it dated all the way back to Benjamin Franklin. But then after hearing a lot of how he lived his life and how he impacted society, it doesn't shock me that it started with him. Very interesting. Uh, in terms of planning, well, that's our topic today, the plan. It's a plan, succession planning, forward-looking planning. Is there a, a quick word of wisdom here, a message to the HR folks who are being called into action to do this? Dan, what would you say to them? How much in advance do they need to plan, in fact? You bet. I think it's, it's critically important for HR practitioners and even you know senior HR folks to map out their vision and what is the big picture, what's the big plan. And then once they get that, they can make sure that the steps that they take along the way are contributing and building toward that outcome. And I've seen it time and time again where people don't necessarily map out the big picture. They, they fix immediately what's in front of them without any coordination with a bigger plan. And it's sort of like building a house without a blueprint, right? You're mm -hmm. sort of... If you don't have that plan up front, it's highly unlikely that the plan will succeed. So when you talk about failing to plan as planning to fail, I think that dovetails beautifully right into the, uh, you know, where companies are headed right now in terms of developing future leaders and planning, very thoughtful planning around that development. Because if they don't, it won't happen all on its own. And they would be planning. If they're, and in that case, if they're failing, they're failing to plan, then certainly that's, a, uh, that's a, a recipe for failure. Well, there you go. We've used the word again. And, and uh, Dan, and I'm going to pose this to the whole panel, but just let me just toss this out on the table right now early in the session. It sounds like companies that take this all very seriously, whether they're learning it from us today or this is something been on their plate or they read about in some HR journal a while ago, they need to plan to have the right HR professionals in-house to be able to plan for succession for the other roles. Agree, disagree, Dan? Totally agree. I totally okay, agree. Well, quite frankly, if you ask those questions as an HR executive of your peers and, and or of your, your business stakeholders, the CEO, the COO, other folks, if they don't buy into that concept about planning the big picture, then that probably should start a different conversation around how HR really is strategically impacting the business. 
Thank you. That's what I was looking for. And now the lady of the hour, I hope you don't mind if I call you that, Sherry Ann Meyer, who is the... We we need a marching band in the background and we need a drum roll. Sherry Ann is the sponsor. She's with ASUG now. Sherry Ann has been a panelist on my Coffee Break with Game Changers radio show off and on for several years. And uh, this is this brilliant idea for game changing HR leaders with Sherry Ann. So Sherry Ann, I'm delighted and I wouldn't let you get away with not giving me a movie quote for today's show. We worked on this, right? We worked on this. And in my opening, I said to everybody, sound complicated, re- succession planning, take heart. We'll simplify it for you. And I asked the audience to remember the word heart. And here's why. Here's the quote. And I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to botch this or get it all right. But but in essence, Sherry Ann is, of course, quoting from The Wizard of Oz, the beloved 1939 film. And I'll tell you more in a second. The quote is, as HR travels down, and I'll put in the new yellow brick road, quote, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. And here are the three players along the road with Dorothy and Toto. The Scarecrow, if I only had a brain. The Tin Man, if I only had a heart. The Cowardly Lion, if I only had the nerve. And one more thing, the Yellow Brick Road, those of you saying, what? That was when the fictional element that was the the underpinning of the 1900 children's novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, by American author L. Frank Baum. So the movie was in 39, at least the first one. And how many movies and plays have been taken off of that one? So Sherry Ann, welcome again to your series. So HR, we're not in Kansas anymore. Is this the wake-up call you wanted to give to our audience? Yes, it is. It really is. And, you know, I just spoke at our Canadian um, conference this morning, too, and that was uh, sort of the theme of my messaging, too, although not about the Yellow Brick Road. Um, I think the world is changing very, very rapidly. The old um, I mean, human resources profession has changed over the years significantly, but we're really on the cusp of a very significant change for human resources where we're told we need to be strategic, and we do. But we also can't forget what you said. We can't forget the heart of things because that is the most valuable thing we bring to the table, I think. I think that's a skill set that people in HR have that's unique. It doesn't come from a textbook. And it's, it's the reason why people like Sharon and I and Dan stick to HR products because we love the people aspect of things. So, yes, we're not in Kansas anymore. And I think, you know, the scarecrow, the tin man, by the way, Bonnie, I'll tell you that I, you know me, I feel that. Wizard of Oz is a paradigm for life in general. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, you know, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man line all represent that if we all had all of those, and I remember watching this as a child and thinking, well, that's great. He's only worried about not having a brain. He's only worried about not having a heart. Don't you need all those things? Mm-hmm. And a true HR professional really does need all those things. There you go. Do they know that, Sherry Ann? Are they still thinking they're, they're pencil pushing? God, what an awful thought. Or, or uh, keep, keep uh, shall we say, mouse pushing or keyboard, keyboard tapping, uh, just filling roles. How many HR professionals really will get what we're talking about today? Or is this going to be breaking news for them, Sherry Ann? I think they get it. I think that HR is under a very critical microscope these past few years. And, you know, they get that they got to get out of compliance and yet, they're still called upon to answer to compliance. They get that they have to develop employees and nurture them, and yet they have to discipline them. So it's a very unusual role compared to any other role in any organization, right? Engineering, accounting, um, IT. They fulfill a very different role, and they're often on different sides of the fence themselves as one person. So 
it, it's very challenging. And I think what's additionally challenging right now is that they've been told you have to be strategic, and workforce analytics is, is really important. And having an HR person who can be more analytical and more fact-finding is really important. And that, again, contradicts with the reason why someone got into HR in the first place. So I think it's kind of a confusing time for people in HR, and we're all trying to find our way there. Thank you. And there comes the yellow brick road. Thank you very much. I love your movie quotes. I wouldn't let you get away with that. You had a very serious quote you, you shared with me originally, and I said, uh-uh, uh-uh, we love your movie quotes. So thank you very much. There actually is a hashtag, Wizard of Oz, and followed by hashtag life, hashtag quotes. So these are life quotes, Sherry, and you're not alone in that. Now let's circle back to Sharon Newton. And Sharon, we'd love to know a little bit more about you in the form of what are you drinking right now, or what do you plan to drink after the show? Sharon, talk to me. Sounds good. Um, right now, I am actually drinking double green matcha tea with a little bit of milk. So it's sort of a matcha tea latte. It's Republic of Tea, and they have these really concentrated tea drinks that I enjoy very much all through my day. Uh, the double green tea is a favorite of my daughter's, too, and she's going to be very disappointed when she gets home from school and finds that I stole the last tea bag. Ah, <laughs> um, that's funny. Double green much, and I'm looking it up. Uh, Sherry Ann knows I love mm-hmm. to look up the drinks. Organic, 100% double green, and there's a little registered trademarks on matcha, M-A-T-C-H-A tea bags. Yes, Republic of tea, T-E-A dot com. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. You get them in the tea samplers on Amazon, and there are some custom room reviews here, and worldmarket.com has it, and matchasource.com has it as well. Very interesting. Well, thank you very much for introducing us to that, Sharon. Delighted. And let's go to Dan Falvey. Dan, what are you drinking? What do you th- want to drink after the show? I'll give you a flavor of both. Right now, I'm drinking something called an Arnold Palmer. And it's actually an Arnold Palmer Light. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it's, uh, it's half iced tea and half lemonade. It's a pretty refreshing, good afternoon drink. But as we move into the evening tonight, I've been on the road a little bit this week, so I may have something called a loose cannon. Oh. For those of you who don't know what a loose cannon is, it's a local microbrew here in Baltimore. And um, it's very tasty, it's, and I'm looking forward to it probably about four hours from now. Well, I have breaking news for you, Dan Falvey. You can get the Arnold Palmer into adult-level alcohol-based drink. Do you know what it's called when you add some alcohol? I, I do, but I wasn't sure everybody would know that. Yeah, it's a John Daly. That's right. Ar- Arnold Daly. Palmer. Yeah, Arnold Palmer is iced tea and lemonade named after the golfer, of course, and the alcohol-based Arnold Palmer is called a John Daly. There you go. Very interesting. Uh, yes, Arnold Palmer was in the habit of drinking iced tea with lemonade at home, and at the 1960 U.S. Open at Cherry Hills Golf Course, Country Club in Denver, he ordered the non-alcoholic drink at the bar. A woman sitting nearby overheard him and ordered that Palmer drink, thus giving the (laughs) beverage its name. See how easy it is? Sherry and Sharon and Dan, just go make sure everybody knows you're on the radio. Make sure they know you're famous, that you're world-known. <laughs> Sit at a bar, order a drink, and it'll be, well, I'll have the Sherry Ann Meyer. Well, I'll have the Dan Falvey. Yeah, I want two of those straight up, the Sharon Newtons. Yeah, the high-precision drink. <laughs> See how easy it is to get a drink named after you? But I digress. Sherry Ann, what are you drinking today? Bonnie, I think you're on to something, and we need a Bonnie drink. <laughs> ah, oh, God forbid. Nope, nope, nope. We're not going to go there, but thank you very much. I'm very flattered. So go ahead, Sherry. I'm drinking water right now, but I am 
looking forward to. I'm on this kick lately for Malibu Bay Breezes, which is the Malibu coconut rum and cranberry juice and pineapple. I think I just don't want to let go of summer. I don't blame you. What's your? Where are you right now? Actually, I'm in Canada right now, in Toronto. I thought so. What's your weather? What's going on there? Um, it's not bad. It's maybe 57. It's a little overcast, but it's decent. Okay. Yeah, it's about that. It's getting very gloomy out. I'm sitting here on the North Shore of Long Island, and I'm looking up a Malibu Bay Breeze, Bay Breeze recipe. That's a tongue twister. Uh, one and a half ounces of Malibu coconut rum, two ounces of cranberry juice, two ounces of pineapple juice. Is that the way you make it, sherri Well, I don't really measure <laughs> oh, now we have it. We're going to have to rename the series and get you out the side door with a disguise. There you go. Now it's going to be the Sherry Ann Malibu something oh, or other. Too much work, Bonnie. It's going to be the Meyer Breeze. That's it. The Meyer Breeze. That's it. My- Meyer Breeze, we just coined it. Well, th- by the way, I, I was uh, noticed on TV about two weeks ago a new brand of whiskey had some gorgeous advertising. It was called Bonnie Rose, and Rose is my daughter's first name, and of course I'm Bonnie. And you can look look it up at bonnierosewhiskey.com. So I said to the family when I come for Thanksgiving to Florida, I'm going to find a bottle of that damn stuff, even though I don't drink whiskey, and I'm bringing it to the party. What do you think, right? So there is a drink named after me, sort of, kind of. How there did they go. know? How did they know? Listen, everyone, we seriously are talking about succession planning for your company, your enterprise. No matter how big or small you are, you have to face this eventually. You get people in the door. They do what you need. You look forward, and then one day they're going to be giving their notice, or they're going to be eyeing somebody else's offer. Don't get caught in the lurch. Plan for success. Plan for growth. Plan for what's strategically good for your business. And it comes back to HR taking an eye on the business, a serious eye on the business, so we're talking today with Sharon Newton at Hypercision. We're talking with Dan Falvey at SAP and Sherry Ann Meyer at ASUG and trying to unravel what this exactly means for HR looking ahead strategically. The key word here is business. The other key word is planning. So you don't even want to think about touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're going to be right back with a lot more with our roundtable segment. And Sharon Newton and I are going to have a little huddle during the break, and we're going to pick a place to start in the roundtable when we come back. So I'm going to say to my engineer at Voice America World Talk Radio, Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world of work is changing faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly human resources can adapt and lead through accelerated, ongoing change. A corporate culture that embraces differences and innovation is among the top winning strategies for business success. How can human resources shape such a culture in their organizations? One that is moving forward in step with business development, acquisitions, mergers, digitally demanding employees and customers, and changing workforce dynamics. Join our experts as they share game-changing ideas and strategies for leading business success through the next millennium. Game-Changing HR Leaders is presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP, America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to game-changing HR leaders. Here we are, and we are talking with today three game-changing HR leaders. In fact, we have Sharon Newton at High Precision, Dan Falvey at SAP, and Sherry Ann Meyer at SAP Users Group, America's User Group, that's A-S-U-G. To those of us in the know, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and our topic today is the art of planning, and that is specifically talking about succession planning. Uh, Sharon wanted to know over the break a recipe or something about loose cannon. We'll, we'll bring that up later if we have time. I'll look it up while we're talking, Sharon. But in the meantime, Sharon, uh, you sent me so many interesting notes about this topic. Let's start here. An NPR piece a year or so ago that you read discussed ageism and terms that are problematic for baby boomers. And one of these was, and this is in quotes and hopefully not bright lights, the silver tsunami. And everybody wondering, yeah, she's talking about that big wave that comes in and wipes everything out, the silver tsunami. So, Sharon, rather than my continuing to read from the notes, why don't you share with us what so impressed you about this piece? Okay, I don't know that it impressed me so much, but it was a term I hadn't heard, so I've probably been reading the wrong articles because it was something I, I understand that offends baby boomers. Um, but they went on to talk about the silver tsunami um, term and talked about how tsunamis are unexpected. They wreak destruction and havoc on the shore. Um, and I think what that really, and, and tsunamis, because they're unexpected, often are not able to be planned for. Um, and I think that brings us back to the conversations that we were having earlier on with Dan and Sherry where we were talking about how important a plan is to have in place. And everybody knows that baby boomers are reaching retirement age or will be and that the, um, I hate to say millennials, because that is a term that's, that's overused, the net generation, generation yep. Y, um, you know, will be coming in to take their place. So one of the challenges as an organization is planning to um, for secession for some of these key leadership positions that will be leaving um, is, is trying to determine how they're going to take their old development activities, or not their old, but their legacy development activities, learning activities, secession plans, and really leverage those to um, engage a new generation. So I think that's an important and engaging topic or discussion that we can have. And I think something that as a generation... X baby myself, something that we often don't talk about are what kind of role the Generation X um, employees can play within this this um, strategy plan these strategy planning sessions that organizations have. Um, I think from a Generation X perspective, you can look at us and while we didn't grow up with technology, and my kids are way better at a lot of things than I am when it comes to iPads and Androids and heck even the Roku. Um, I still have quite a few advantages over some folks who didn't spend college, graduate school working with computers. So there's a good bridge there in terms of leveraging Generation X, helping to develop Generation Y, and also move into those management roles in the future. Interesting, Sharon. And while you were talking, I just took a quick peek at Generation X so I could share that demographic or that cohort, if you will, with our listeners. Officially, demographers and commentators use birth dates ranging from the early 1960s to the early 1980s to describe Gen X, the generation born after the Western 
post-World War II baby boomer generation. I'm a boomer. I don't know what the rest of you are. Sherry, what, what Sherry Ann, what generation are you? I'm a boomer, for sure. You are? I, I still, every time you say that, I say, no, no, she's, she's not telling you. I know. I, and, I, you know, on my good days when I've had a good night's sleep, I could pass for a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me, t- me too, darling, with a lot of dark glasses on and still bl- my blazing red hair. Dan Falvey, what generation are you in while we're talking personal here? I am a boomer. In fact, I am the last year of the boomer, to be more, more precise. <laughs> Get out. I didn't realize that. Well, Sharon, you're in good company with your wise elders here, and we appreciate that. We yes. should, should have had a, We should have had the, the hated M word. And, and by the way, we've talked to plenty of millennials on Game Changers Radio, and even they're sick of being called the millennials, and they don't want to talk about it anymore. So there you go. Lots of books being written about that. Are they? Are they not? Sharon, before I bring in Dan and Sherry Ann in this conversation, there's something else in your notes here about this silver tsunami and, and the older, more seasoned employees moving out and and the millennial generation coming into the workforce. They're already here, by the way. My question for you is, how do you find out if they want to be in a leadership role before you say, okay, by the way, young Bob, uh, we're planning to get you into the C-suite in the next six years. There's your succession plan. And Bob is saying, no, I don't (laughs) think so. So how do you know if Bob wants to, or Bob or, or Barbara want to lead at that millennial, that younger M entrant into the workforce? What do you see? I'm not sure if you're going to know immediately if if Bob wants to lead or not as he comes into your organization, but I think as you start to work with Bob and engage him in different activities, stretch activities, for example, have him work with mentors and coaches within your organization, those sorts of um, interests that Bob may have in leading within your organization are going to start to show themselves in how he applies himself to those development activities, um, what he brings that might be new or innovative to those development activities. And, you know, you can't generalize too much about a a generation because if you did, my generation would probably be dazed and confused, and I think we're supposed to be very self-centered as well. Um, (laughs) But one of the things they do say about millennials is that they have different ways of thinking about things and are very good at problem-solving. So, you know, if those skills, whatever they may be, that Bob is bringing to the table show themselves and show themselves to be more valuable to the organization. And as Bob becomes more engaged within the organization and starts to align with the culture of the organization, I think that's where you're going to start to see if he's really somebody that you might see as a high potential. Hmm. Dan Falvey, talk to us. What do you, you think? Know, uh, I, I, would, I would back that up just a bit. And I think the, one of the more important things is to really understand what skill sets Bob has first, because that might help you guide him in a place to put him in a position to succeed. And that could be, you know, the C-suite. It could be, you know, maybe somewhere else in the organization. But if Bob is a millennial, and, and Sharon, I'm sure you'll, you'll appreciate this, there are studies that have been done, Oxford Economics in particular, that really showed that at work, millennials are not all that different than non-millennials, except for one area in particular, and that's the amount of feedback that they want. And at least in this survey, which is pretty exhaustive, it was a global survey, um, tremendous amounts of people were involved, but at the end of the day, they wanted feedback on a much more regular basis, along with development and mentoring. So the, the, the findings of the study would indicate that Bob, in this case, wants to move. He wants a path, but he also wants to know that his employer understands what his skill sets are 
so that he can move in a direction that's interesting to him. Hmm. Sherry Ann, yeah, thoughts? I think that's a great, great point, Dan. Sharon? Uh, sorry, yep. I'm just going to jump in here really quickly. That's okay. Um, that's okay. That's Go ahead, Sharon. Too, because sorry, I think that's interesting too. Because you know, one of the key tenets of learning and development is, as you look at a development plan, you want to look at that 70-20-10 ratio, where you're looking at 70% from real life on the job experience, 20% is feedback and observe observations, and then the 10% is that more formal training. I wonder if that's going to kind of switch as we start to develop the younger generation, you know, if we're going to be moving back down a little bit to hands-on, maybe 60, 30, 10 or something. Just interesting. Very, very. Sherry Ann, join us. Thoughts? Yeah, I, this, this is interesting because I, I think that millennials want more feedback because they're newer to the workforce and they need more guidance. And there's been so many of us in the workforce for such a long time that did not need that kind of guidance and could really lead ourselves on our own. And so I wonder if it's not something that we have to focus on that's not just moving him into a leadership role that's the C-suite or even management, but, you know, understanding these people as components of a team and that, you know, you want to use no one person has all the strengths that you need, but you want to be able to use the best of everyone to make the best team. Sherry, mm-hmm. sure, and I, I completely agree with that. I mean, people want to be in positions where they're doing work that's interesting to them and where they're contributing and they understand how they're contributing to the bigger picture. And I don't necessarily think that's unique to millennials or non-millennials. I will say that just generationally, um, and this is not a knock on any, by any means to the millennial generation, but they have grown up in an, in an environment where they've been getting very good feedback, positive feedback from a very early age, uh, much more so than, than non-millennials, whether it's, you know, their little their sports league teams league teams when they're little or they, you know there's a participation trophy out there now for everybody and and it just mm. it seems to be generationally uh, driven that they get feedback on a very very regular basis in just about all aspects of their life and they they transition that to wanting to get it at work as well um, and Sharon Bonnie is it okay I just want to touch on one other thing that yeah, Sharon mentioned before about the yeah. Silver tsunami. I, I don't know if any of the the other folks on the phone have heard about this, but a colleague mentioned to me a piece that was done this morning about the TSA, the uh, Transportation mm-hmm. Security Agency, mm-hmm. and that they're expecting this wave of retiring workers, and they're they're uh, really concerned as to how they're going to backfill all those folks. So if there was ever an illustration of the importance of having visibility to all those folks that could be leaving your workforce and having a plan to replace them and backfill them, that to me is, um, you know, that, that's a real-world instance of what happens when you don't keep an eye on the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I 100% agree, Dan. And I actually sent Bonnie a, a little topic on that as well. So hopefully we can touch on that one a little bit more because it is interesting. We absolutely will. But in the meantime, I want to make sure we give some very specific, I won't say tips and tricks, but let's talk about strategies. And Dan Falvey, I'm looking at your notes. I'd like to talk. I'm just going to read a little bit here, and then you can run with it. You say companies are trying to get their arms around knowing what talent they have. Okay, that's the given. 
forecasting the talent they will need to support the business in the future, which we talked about in the opening. And guess what? They need to identify the gaps. So you say, Dan, that companies have three primary strategies to choose from when filling the gaps and preparing for succession planning. One is buy meaning you're hiring talent externally. One is building, developing it internally. And one is renting. Why don't you take us through these? I'm not even going to explain the rent section, the rent option. Dan, why don't you take us through how practical these are? And do these apply as options to every company or only certain types of companies? Go ahead. Sure, that's, that, that's a good point. I mean, as people, as organizations, especially HR organizations, within a company, as they look to add more value and really be a strategic partner, they have to be looking at their talent and make sure that they don't have these gaps. And, and the gaps, you know, if you look back to 2008 when we had the recession, people hung around a lot longer than they were expected to in those positions. And it was good for the companies, short-term, very good for the companies, short-term, very good for those folks that hung on, but long-term, it left a gap. So... For companies to be able to have those skill sets there that now with these folks that are going to retire, by buying it and hiring externally, usually that's based out of need. And sometimes buying it makes a lot of sense. If you're acquiring a new company or you're getting into a new line of business and you need a totally different perspective and skill set, I think hiring from the outside makes a tremendous amount of sense. When you're doing it because you didn't develop the right talent over the course of time, to me, that's a little bit dangerous because then you're, you're putting uh, a new, somebody new into a culture where they may or may not be a fit. And that's incredibly important in a company now. Culture is becoming more important. So the buy aspect is usually out of either a lack of internal talent or trying to get you into a new line of business or something that calls for a new perspective. So that would be the buy. The build would be to develop the talent internally. And when you look at, at a lot of the things that employees are expecting now, it's this learning mandate that they have where they want development, they want to grow, they want to build their careers. That would all be very, very consistent with a successful succession plan moving forward. The problem there could be that if you don't have it right now, it takes time to build it. And that's where the rent comes in. And I use the term rent here because I think it, it – it, it's very easy to, to, for people to visualize, but really there's a whole contingent workforce or contract workforce out there. And in that survey that I referenced before, the Oxford Economics Survey, there were 2,700 executives as part of that survey, and 83% of them said that the contingent workforce would be a meaningful part of their workforce strategy moving forward. So as you look, and you, 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 know, you look at those three options, you know, every one of them has their own pros and cons, but certainly they're, they're ones that, that you really need to consider as you look at the best way to keep your company moving forward and, you know, and, and building a sustainable model for the future. Hmm. Very interesting. Sherry-Ann, thoughts? What's your favorite way? Do you think uh, different companies should pick and choose, or can somebody use all three successfully? What do you think? I was listening to what Dan had to say, and a couple of things resonated with me, either positively or negatively. Um, one of the things he said was that, you know, when we're going out and we're, quote-unquote, buying new talent, uh, the, they might not fit into our culture. And that sort of bothers me because I think that too often we've had organizations that have had a very solid lockdown culture where they refuse to 
accept new thoughts and new people and new ways of doing things into their organization. Um, and people are different. When they bring those differences to the table, I think that they bring a fresh point of view, and I think that we have to learn to work with all kinds of different people. And then, you know, that also fits in with the contingent workforce um, discussion. I, The last corporation I worked at, we had outsourced a lot of our IT work, and we built, took, went from a team of 17 people who were in-house to a team of 17 people who were in India and some in our offices. Mm. And we were very successful only because we didn't have that lockdown culture. We opened our arms to them, in my team anyway. Um, you know, we tried to, as much as possible, make them feel part of the organization and have a commitment to us to do the best work possible. So I don't know. I think that going forward, um, managing HR is going to get increasingly challenging. Um, And I wonder about managing contingent workers. And I realize there's a fine line there. You don't want to look like you're owning these employees when they're under a contractor. But how how do you motivate them to get the best work out of them? So I'm, I'm not sure what the right answer is. Great question. Let's pose it to Sharon Newton. Sharon, any observations you could share with Sherry Ann on that? I'm not sure I can give her some great observations on motivating mm-hmm. the contingent workforce, but I did want to pick up on something else Sherry Ann mentioned. Sure. You know, I think as you talk about planning for your organization and look at contingent workforce, that is one area that you really have to think about in terms of these folks aren't going to be with us, and the plan is not for them to be with us. So how do we continue to um, provide value for the work that they're doing? But she also touched on working with uh, folks who are remote, and that starts, Mm -hmm. I think, to become very difficult, too, in terms of developing team and culture within an organization. Um, Speaking from my own experience, we are distributed, our our company is distributed all across the country, all across the North Americas, and not having that face time is difficult as you bring people into an organization to get them aligned with the culture, to get them um, understanding how you do business. So I think those are two huge challenges from a succession perspective, the contingent workforce and the remote workforce that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And if you throw in, um, Sharon, if you you throw in the, the fact that in some instances there are five generations in present in the workforce. So mm-hmm. even if none of the, even if they're all internal and your own employees and you develop them from within, HR, the challenge of, of managers and, and leaders being able to effectively manage uh, a workforce as diverse as it is, and as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Sharon, you know, the, the, they're, it's a distributed workforce. And if, if there, you throw contingent workers in the mix and you throw people coming in from the outside in the mix, and, and it really, really accentuates the need for strong development and strong learning and strong succession plans for companies as they look to, you know, function properly and productively in the future. Yeah, I think that's one aspect of succession planning, right? Um, How are you planning for the future succession of these contract workers? It does often happen that the contract worker that you had really turns out to be a position that you need full-time on your staff. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so I don't know that we're managing all that because we don't know what those contingent workers are doing. We're not currently managing their work today. 
And Sherry Ann, I want to flip this conversation to something in your notes here because we've got about six minutes before we go into our predictions round. You noticed, you noted to me about an HBR Harvard Business Review story in 2014 that called for splitting HR. Just let me read a drop from this, and then I'd like you to to talk about how that will apply to our conversation. The title is "It's Time to Split." S-P-L-I-T, Split HR by Ram Charan, and it's the July-August 2014 issue. And the opening says, it's time to say goodbye to the Department of Human Resources. Well, not the useful tasks it performs, but the department per se must go. And then he continues, I talk with CEOs across the globe who were disappointed in their HR people and distinguishes between the CHROs, the, the chief human resource officers, who are good at what the generalists have always done, which is personnel benefits, compensation, labor relations, filling the old school way, filling the roles, and then there are those who understand how key decisions are made, who can relate HR, here it comes, to real-world business needs, and that's where the split would go. So, sherri why did this article catch your attention? I think it's perfect for our conversation. You want to run with it? Well, as an HR person, I was a little offended that he wanted to get rid of my career, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to do that. If he knew you, he would take it all back, all I back. Offend it. <laughs> Um, but um, there are a couple other things. I mean, one, we already kind of have another split. Um, we're talking a lot about contingent workers, right, just before, and this relates to this because mm-hmm. contingent workers are typically managed today by purchasing, and yet they're a valued part of our workforce. So we already have that split. So that's one dynamic that's causing trouble for HR. And the second thing is I don't think that HR brings to the table uh, an analytical mindset and that needs to be the answer to all of our problems. I think that there are people that are really good like that with that data and can get that data and can give those tools to HR leaders to make intelligent decisions. But I think it also requires being deeply embedded in your business and understanding your business that your company runs and where the future is moving to for your company, as well as the environment in which your business operates. And that's how you become a respected and trusted advisor to the business people as an HR person. Sherry Ann, the proposal in the article was for the split to be HR-A for administration and HR-LO for leadership and organization. Where would you fit in? Um, Leadership and organization. Now, the company that I came from before had sort of a split. We had a shared services organization. And so most of the administration was done in there. Um, The difficult challenge was whether that shared services organization should be under finance or under HR. And when it was under HR, HR definitely got pulled into more of the granular details than they probably needed to get pulled into. So I I think that's something that would be the gray area that would have to be worked out in a model like he proposes. Hmm. I'd love to hear Sharon Newton's uh, thoughts about this. Sharon, are you familiar with the idea to split HR? And, And if yes or even no, what do you think? Yeah, I've seen the, the idea discussed. I haven't spent much time reading the articles in depth. Um, I do think, I just think right now, as I look at the organizations that we work with, there's a lot more drive from HR to own their solutions and their processes and their technology. So I think HR gets it. You know, they know they need to have that ownership of processes, ownership of analytics, show the value of the organization. And we really see that as we we start to support organizations that are moving to cloud technology because that's letting them take ownership of what they need to implement 
to support their strategic business processes. It allows them to move quickly, rapidly, flexibly to support the strategic initiatives of the organization. They don't have to wait for IT. So I think HR gets it. Um, you know, from, from one of the comments Sherry made about having um, a shared services organization, that is something that we, we do see quite a bit with organizations that we work with. And I think that makes a lot of sense for, so I guess, I guess really I'm saying we do see it already. <laughs> Almost. Interesting. Shared services organization coming to the forefront and with HR really taking control in terms of the strategic direction, how they're going to support the strategic direction of the organization. Thank you, Sharon. Dan Falvey, are you familiar with the concept of splitting HR, and do you agree, disagree? I I am, and I don't agree. I, I really don't. I, I would prefer that, you know, that, that companies, in addition to investing in all the other areas of talent, that they make sure that they continue to invest in the development of their HR professionals. And I just heard the, the you know, the um, area of analytics raised, and and quite frankly, analytics can be intimidating to somebody who's not really um, comfortable with the idea, but yet it's a critical part of how uh, HR will tell their story in maybe some more commonly business metrics, right, and how they're impacting Mm -hmm. that. So uh, I I think rather than split it, I would say to continue to invest in your HR folks and have them be less transactional on their focus and much more, much closer to the business partners and, and their, you know, the businesses that they support so that they can understand that environment and then really tell them how they can help support them and drive their results, their end results. I'd much rather, I think that's a much more effective way and productive way to look at HR in the future. I would just say take them out of the, the weeds of the transactional focus, uh, which I mm. think is where most, most often that's where a lot of HR practitioners end up, as, as I think Sherry Ann mentioned earlier. Hmm. Sherry Ann, you want to close us out on this topic? I'm just about ready to wrap it up and, and turn back to Sharon Newton for her predictions. But any quick thoughts on the rest of that splitting HR discussion? No, I'd really like to hear everyone's predictions, actually, because one of my predictions is that HR may be split in the future. Ah, oh, <laughs> we just got a preview. Oh, not supposed to do that. Everybody strike that from the record. We'll wait for that. Thank you, Sherry Ann. Great segue. Sharon Newton at High Precision. Sharon, I think I told you when we met a couple of days ago on our prep call, I love the year 2020. It just has that ring to it. And it's coming up sooner rather than it used to be far in the future, not so much anymore. So if we met again and had this conversation, I certainly hope we do, Sharon Newton. What would be different about the terminology, the concept, about the evolution of HR, if that's such a thing, uh, and the contingent workforce, the buy, rent, or build? Anything you want to talk about, I'm going to give you, let's see, I'm going to give you 90 seconds for your predictions. Sharon Newton, go. Thank you. So many questions. So I'll stick with 2020, and I think we all acknowledge the boomers are going to be retiring. I think Generation X, my generation, is going to be taking on more of the key leadership roles, but they're also going to be acting as um, the bridge that I mentioned earlier between newer employees, millennials, we'll just say millennials, um, as well as those retiring boomers. So helping make that cultural and organizational change that needs to be made within an organization to retain the newer workforce. Um, I think from a challenging pers- a challenge perspective, we're still going to be looking at the same challenges that we have today and trying to find the right person for the right role um, and going through all the processes and the planning that need to take place to support that activity. 
I think finding the talent is going to be more difficult because there are an awful lot of opportunities for people to start their own businesses, to sell things on Etsy, to go out and do something completely different. And I was reading a uh, CLO article a few weeks ago that talked about if you're looking at folks who are graduating, who just graduated last year, let's say, only about 15% of them want to work for large corporations. So that population of people who are interested in working and staying with a large organization could be shrinking as well should they um, act on, on what they're interested in doing. So it's going to be finding that talent. It's going to be engaging the talent because I think we know the boomers had a tendency to stay with their jobs, at least in the 50s and 60s, um, 70s. And as new employees enter the workforce, people don't stay as long. You know, I think we look at maybe averages of three or four years before people move, at least within the consulting industry. Um, and with newer generations, with more opportunities, with the opportunity to work remote, the focus on work-life balance, people will really need to be engaged to stay within an organization. Thank um, you very much. And Sharon, I'm a boomer and Sherry Ann claims to be. I don't believe her in Dan, too. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any interest in retiring because I've got my dream job finally. And, and I'm uh, not a first year boomer, but close to the leading edge. Dan's bringing up the rear there on the, the end edge. So there you go. I don't, some of us are just not going to retire. You'll have to do your recalculations. Dan Falvey, SAP, I'm ready for your predictions. I can give you 60 seconds. Go, Dan. All right. My predictions are looking at three to five years, and they're really in two categories. I think we'll continue to see the performance management and ratings process be redefined, and I believe that it will be the majority of the companies out there will be tying it to development much more so than they would tie it to compensation, which is sort of the norm today. So that's one. And then the other one, I believe that HR is becoming a career path to the CEO, where you'll see a lot more HR executives be populated by people coming from other parts of the business, other executives as part of a career path. And I believe that you will see more and more uh, CEOs that have a full appreciation for or maybe have even sat in the role of the chief HR executive in their or other organizations. How's that? I like that a lot. Let's come back together and see if it all comes true. And Sherry Ann Meyer, I can give you, I actually can give you a little more than 60 seconds, so take your time. What do you predict, Sherry Ann? Oh, wow. Well, I alluded before <laughs> to the split of HR, um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know that that's necessarily true and necessarily workable, but I do think that we need to define what we mean by human resources and the roles when we talk about human resources. Because we've all kind of been focusing on a larger company where there is a, a staff of HR. But what about the smaller organizations where there's an HR person? And then you take that HR person and, and they talk about their job is entirely different from the jobs that are more granular and more focused in a larger organization. So I think we're probably eventually going to come to some definitions of what an HR professional is because certainly just managing payroll making sure people get paid on time isn't human resources. That's compliance. Um, and so I think we're going to get down to a place where we have HR roles that are clearly out of the weeds, where everyone and that team doesn't need to be in all the decisions, and where we can be more agile in making decisions moving forward. I mean, I really hope for a day when we can be more agile in making decisions because, to Sharon's point, I don't think that the younger generation is going to be patient with that at all, and I do think they will move on. 
in our world today, it's very easy for any young person to start up a business online, to um, create an event online. They don't need a lot of help. So they're going to be very impatient with companies that aren't agile. Interesting. Good points all. Thank you very much. And I want to thank our wonderful panel, Sharon Newton. I hope it was good for you, Sharon, at Hyperscission. Thanks for joining us, Sharon. Pleasure to meet you. Dan Falvey at SAP. Also, pleasure to meet you, a fellow boomer. And Sherry Ann, oh, stop lying about your age. You're you. I, I don't buy that anymore. And thank you to Justin and the Business Channel team. I have my own predictions really fast. Tomorrow, let's see, it is uh, October 15th. And at 10 a.m. Eastern, I'll be hosting Meet the Visionary Game Changers, another one of our 18 Game Changers radio series. And our topic, very interesting. It begins at home. You know, charity. And the topic will be changing the face of philanthropy with technology. We'll have Chris Krause from BetterPlace.org. We'll have Roger Ford at Accenture and David Yonker from SAP. Looking forward to a great conversation. Time for us to wrap this up. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Whether you're in HR or not, go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Game Changing HR Leaders. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best-run businesses run SAP and run simple. Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and Twitter handle R-E-C-H-A-R-G-E-H-R. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.